What's up, principals, and welcome to the Principal Crew Podcast. My name is Adam. Welcome. I'm a principal. I'm your host, and this is a podcast that is all about principals all of the time because that is what we do. Now, today on the show, I'm going to give a little backstory. People always, I get a lot of people reaching out like, hey, how do I get on your podcast? Can I nominate my principal for your podcast? My principal just finished their doctorate. You know, can they get on the podcast? And the podcast is a combination of people that I know, principals that I've known for years and years and years, you know, I would say maybe friends of mine. And then maybe there's like friends of friends. And then there's just other people. I'll go to Twitter and just search principal, assistant principal, reach out to people randomly. Some of them are the national distinguished principals for NAESP and NASSP that I like to get on the show because those are people that are obviously doing really good work in their states. And then other people just reach out to me on Twitter. And today is one of those people that just reached out to me on Twitter and said, hey, can we collaborate? I have a podcast at my school with my students is what she said. And we went back and forth and I said, let's, let's get you on the podcast so we can chat about that and all things leadership. And I'm so excited to welcome Rachel Gross from Long Island, New York to the podcast. So Rachel. Happy so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor. Oh, I'm stoked. And especially a New Yorker, Long Island has a special place in my heart. My dad is from New York. I've done a lot of speaking and consulting, especially on Long Island, all the way out to South Hold at the end of the island. So it's great to, um, great to have a, uh, a New York accent, a New York leader on the show. So Rachel, for the people that don't know who you are, Tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. Give us the lowdown of Rachel. Sure. I have been living on Long Island since I'm two years old. I uh, worked in a sleepaway camp for children with special needs uh, as a teen. And that's where I decided that I wanted to pursue a career in creative arts therapy. Uh, I went to Hofstra University to get my master's in art therapy. And they offered an extension. If I stayed for another year, I could pursue a master's in special education. I said, I'm young, I'm available, why not? So I stayed another year and I absolutely fell in love with the field of special education. Hofstra University placed me in a district called the Malvern School District for my student teaching. And that is where I am currently serving as the proud principal of the Davison Avenue School right here in Malvern. Um, I was hired after the student teaching to be a special education teacher in the Malvern Middle School, which is the Howard T. Herber Middle School. And that is when I got the leadership bug. I was hired by mentors that inspired me, leaders with vision, administrators with heart and passion. So I went to Stony Brook University to get my school building leader degree, my school district leader degree. Um, I served as the K through six curriculum chairperson first. Then I moved into the principalship in, now this is my fourth year in the principalship. And just this past September, I started my doctorate studies at Johns Hopkins University. And of course I picked COVID-19 to be the time to start my doctoral research, but I'm very blessed. That's awesome. Well, it's great to uh, have you. So you've been in Melbourne your entire career, like from when you were just a pup to now all, uh, all, all where you are as principal, is that right? I, I have. So from student teaching to teaching to 
part-time leadership to full-time leadership. I always like to say Malvern is where I've been born and raised as a educator and a leader. So um, I love New York education for a lot of reasons. I've done a lot of work there, like I said, and there's so many stark differences between California and New York. We're like on the opposite ends of the coast, but in all the work I've done in New York, like the, the funding in New York is so much more than it is in California. As a principal, I have a nurse, but I only have that nurse one day a week. Like schools that I've worked with in New York, they have a nurse, like there's a nurse in the building every day, all day. And that's another thing. We don't call schools buildings in California. I know New York, like, oh, the building, I'm the building principal. And here it's like the school or the campus. It's, it's a lot different. Part of it is because our schools are not really buildings because we have great weather all year round. We don't have the snow and the cold and the ice like y'all have. You have the indoor schools. So I love talking to people in other places because there's just all the different things. So you brought up COVID-19. And the initial reason that we got connected was over podcasting, which is another great reason why every principal should have a podcast for their school. So you have a podcast with your students. I've listened to episodes. I think it's awesome. How did that start? How's it going? What are some of the kind of high level logistics if other principals are listening and they're they're motivated to then start a podcast? What are like the, maybe the top five things or top five ways to get started with a podcast at their school? Sure, I'll give you a little background. Um, my building, we call them buildings, Davison Avenue, shout out to Davison Avenue Intermediate School. We are third, fourth, and fifth grade. We started the school year fully in person with a fully virtual option for families that wanted it. We were 33% uh, virtual at the start of the school year, and I made a commitment for one school, one family. No matter where you were receiving your instruction and your education, whether you were at home or you were in person in school, we wanted to create an environment that nobody felt left out, nobody felt left behind, nobody's at a disadvantage. So we turned to a lot of digital tools. And I personally, as the building leader who doesn't get the pleasure to meet with the classes every single day like our virtual teachers do, I wanted a way to connect. And that's when I just came to me one day to think about, hey, what if I started a podcast? That's the cool thing to do now. So um, I was inspired by a podcast that I had seen that was housed on Buzzsprout. Uh, went on there in a matter of an hour. I created a logo, got myself an account. And then just from there, it kind of was self-motivating to continue. Um, if I think about the top five things um, is make sure that you Pick a child or an adult to interview that has a story to share, something of inspiration and something that can meet um, and I guess reach the audience of intent. Um, check out apps for editing. I personally use GarageBand and then I upload to Buzzsprout. Um, get yourself a catchy name, make it fun. Mine is called Report to the Principal's Office, Chats and Snacks with Miss Gross. And because I called it Chats and Snacks, oh, sorry, that was the bell, you know, we are in a school. <laughs> uh, I called it Chats and Snacks with Miss Gross because every time that I meet with a child, um, I invite them into my office, want to make it comfortable. You know, we have to wear masks, but we want to make it a laid back environment. So we always snack on something exciting and we share it with the audience. And it's just about share, share, share and grow your network, share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook, wherever you can. It's just another way to connect. And I have found it for myself super fulfilling. 
and hearing the stories of our students, their resiliency through COVID-19, the celebrations that they you know, still want to acknowledge during this crisis, their experiences through virtual learning, all of that has been so eye-opening and wonderful. Well, and you learn things about your students that you would most likely not normally learn if you weren't having this specified conversation that you were gonna record and produce and then share. And I love that we're talking and you're a practicing principal doing this with your students because I've been preaching for years that people need to have a YouTube channel, that principals need to have a podcast because the whole newsletter, I mean, I feel that the newsletter on so many levels has just seen its day because if the newsletter gets deleted on your email parents and then they can't find it. But while, while somebody's riding their Peloton or walking their dog or commuting, they can listen to the podcast. So they're getting information about their child's school. They're connecting, they're learning things that they would not normally learn. It's just a relevant thing to do. And like, furthermore, if we talk about career ready, college and career ready, you're just getting people ready for life. Podcasting is a job in 2021, or maybe you're working for a company that wants to start a podcast and you have experience with Miss Gross doing it. And you're like, Hey, I did this however many years ago, maybe you took it to the high school or whatever, or an internship. I mean, there's just so many, there's so many layers to it. It, it helps to amplify your voice, your school's voice, and most importantly, your student's voice. And it's those stories that, to me, that's the magic of schools. And those are the things that we should be talking about. So interesting that you say that, because I think my last interview, my most recent one, I didn't know that this student was a techie and loves all things technology. And I said, well, then why don't you stay with me and I'll show you how I edit. So that wasn't even featured on the podcast, but the podcast is what led to a session of just a one-to-one -one experience with me and that student showing him how I actually edit the podcast and upload it for sharing. Yeah, I, I, I'm so glad you said that. I can remember 10 years ago, my first year as a principal, we had a talent show. And it's these kinds of things where you actually discover the the talents of your kids. Like you didn't know that this kid was techie. Well, we had this talent show and one of our students, Sully, who's uh, I think a senior in high school now, he just, he was the MC for the talent show. And I was like, who is this kid and where did he come from? I was a brand new principal in the school and I'd wanted to start a podcast for our school. This was 10 years ago. And I wasn't the host, I co-hosted it with Sully. And oh my God, I mean, his parents were over the moon. Everybody wanted to be like Sully. And then I had him train other kids. And that's how it just builds and builds and builds. You, you got to create opportunities for kids to shine in the spotlight um, at their school. Because it's not about us. It's about the kids. Rachel, are you a hard worker or are you a workaholic? Oh, good question. Um, I would definitely say I'm a hard worker, but my philosophy is work smart, work smart. I like to kind of look at my puzzle pieces and figure out a plan. I like to look at end game and process. Um, it's unfair to call myself a workaholic when you, you know, I, I love what I do. And it's, I always joke about myself that the way I unwind is with creating podcasts and flyers and logos for events because it brings me joy and it's, it's my, it's my life's passion. So that's a, that's a tough question. Um, you're hesitating. I, 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 you're I, hesitating. 
Rachel, you're hesitating a little bit. And as a fellow principal and a fellow hard worker, non-workaholic, what I, and I, I asked this question purposefully of principals because I was a workaholic assistant principal um, back in the day. And I was newly married, a new father. And I had to, and I was like you, I was creating tech things on the side and at night and this and that. And my wife is in medicine. So she was working nights and the baby was sleeping and I had the time. So I was like, I'm going to do what I love. And I had to, and then my father passed away and it really kind of hit me. We're like, you know, I gotta, I gotta be a hard worker and not a workaholic. And quick story, my daughter, who's 10, she plays soccer. Both of my kids do. And she's like, she's center mid. She loves to like, run the field and she's fast and strong and she's tough and her coach put her in the goal um, the other day for practice and at first she told me on the way home she's like I didn't want to be in the goal dad I want to be out there doing things but you know what I realized I'm like what did you realize Greta she's like well when I stood back in the goal and the goalie is not as busy as like the center mid usually I saw the field in a different way and I saw where other players I was like oh no no do that and do this and then I was thinking about myself when I would go back into center mid or wherever and what I was going to do because I I changed my perspective and I would say that's my challenge to you Rachel and to everybody listening is change your perspective and that if that is turning off your work email on your phone I do not have my work email on my phone I haven't in years if it's turning your phone off on the weekend um, and I hate to put I'm not putting on the spot but I heard that hesitation in your voice, Rachel. So what's the truth? Are you a hard worker or are you a workaholic? Well, it's interesting that you talk about perspective from looking at the field, because I think COVID and the closure gave me that perspective. And I've learned, you know, when work becomes home and home becomes work, you have to set those boundaries. So I had to take a real long, hard look at when I was walking away from that computer and when I was setting those boundaries and I had to teach myself when the, when the work day was over. So it's, I think I'm a work in progress. Um, I'll take that. I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, especially balancing my doctoral research right now and, and making sure that my virtual learners and my in-person learners, you know, there's so many things to juggle, but I am, I am working daily on making sure that I set those boundaries for myself. And it's, like I said, I'm only year four of the principalship and it's, it's a, it's a work in progress. What has surprised you the most about being a principal? Cause like, I think when you, when you're a teacher, I know I'll speak for myself. You, you think, you know, but you really have no idea. When I was an assistant principal, I thought I knew and I knew more, but I still had no idea. And then when I became a principal, I was like, oh, all right. Like what, what surprised you the most? I mean, year one, year two, year four, what, what's been the biggest surprise about being a school principal? Um, I think it's not a surprise. It's something that like an aha moment that I had. And that is, you know, you are leading a group and a team of experts and it is up to you to build that capacity to make sure that you inspire that team of experts. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to make all the decisions on your own. It, the, the true beauty and magic that happens in a school is when you inspire the team and you ignite that expertise because everyone brings something to the table. So although you are you know, named the leader at the head of the table, it really is a side-by-side -side mission. 
Yeah. So I think no. that that to me was the most um, eye-opening thing that I've learned over the past four years. Yeah, I agree. I, it was a. Uh... My principal, when I was an assistant principal, used to tell me, you sleep better when you're an assistant principal because you could always punt something up to the principal. But, it, you know, it, it's, it's uh, and I found too, like the hard conversations that people say are hard. Actually, I don't feel that they're hard conversations. They're hard if you don't have them. They're easier when you just do have them. So just have the conversation with the teacher or the student or the parent uh, and just, you know, and work on the relationship or whatever the, um, whatever the issue is. If you could pick one job for one day, what would that be? And if you could choose one job for one year, what would that be? I always joke around that if I wasn't a, uh, an educator, I'd be a party planner. I mm-hmm. love event planning. So when it comes to assemblies and field day, that is like, that is my jam. I love that stuff. So if I could be an event planner for a day and watch the building of a beautiful party go down and be in charge of that with the headset and the clipboard, I'd be all, I'll be all up in that. Um, and for a year, I mean, I, I have a passion for travel. I love it. Um, hook me up with a flight attendance position with international travel <laughs> so I can see the world. What's the coolest um, trip you've ever been on? I probably uh, standing on the Great Wall of China was quite the moment for me. Wow. You know, the the awe of being on the other side of the world on standing on one of the wonders of the world was um, wasn't lost on me and still yeah. probably that is, is probably number one. I haven't been there, but those man-made structures that were made before bulldozers and mechanization they also really astound me. I've been to Machu Picchu in Peru and you just think back to, and they don't even really know like what that was for and how it was built, but just built on this hillside and the Great Wall of China, I mean, times a hundred, how long it is and just the mass of it. Uh, those are, those are pretty sweet. Um, who do you learn from Rachel? I mean, you and I connected on Twitter, but day in, day out, or, you know, virtually on social media, who are those people that you go to or that you feel that you learn the most from? Um, I mean, internally, there's always those mentors and colleagues that I'm always borrowing from and learning from on a daily basis. My teaching staff inspires me and I learn from every day. Um, Very recently, I've been very inspired by Adam Grant. I had read the originals um, years ago. Our superintendent had asked us to read it and I was just inspired by his notion about creativity as a creative person myself and how, you know, intellect and creativity kind of go hand in hand. Um, And then of course there's, you know, Brene Brown. I'm currently reading uh, Dare to Lead. So the concept and the, the, her, you know, philosophy on vulnerability is really inspiring for me right now. So I just, I, I take it where I can get it. And of course, social media, I had got to say, creating that, you know, learning network, reaching out to you, following other leaders, you know, following people who follow you and then following back and just being inspired to see what people are doing across the country. It's, it's harnessing those opportunities to, you know, follow and I guess learn from people who are in similar contexts as you and also, you know, context that might be relatable and similar to yours. Just because I'm an elementary school principal, I've got a lot to learn from those middle school principals and those high school principals as well. So give a pep talk to all the people out there that are nervous and afraid to reach out. And, you know, in my experience, uh, 
the vast majority of New Yorkers. Um, they're a lot like me, like they, I'm not shy. I'm gonna go up to somebody and say, hey, my name is Adam, welcome and reach my hand out or give a fist bump. What, I mean, you reach out to me. What would you say to other people that, oh, I don't know, they're busy, he, I'm not sure, they're this, they're that, I think blah, 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 blah. Like, I mean, you just like sent me a message. What advice would you give to other people and not just reaching out to me, but to anybody that they want to connect with? What would you, I mean, give people a pep talk. I mean, I think it goes back to risk versus reward. What was the worst thing you could have told me is like, sorry, I have, I'm all booked or I don't have time or I wouldn't have gotten a response. But the reward is that I'm sitting with you today, recording a podcast, learning from Adam Welcome. I mean, it's, it's, Again, risk versus reward. There's you've got nothing to lose. Put yourself out there, especially if the other person put themselves out there. You know, you're on a podcast, you're a public figure, you have opened up your digital world to let us in. So that is that's an invitation on its own. And I think I responded to that invitation. That's it. That's it. The what is the worst? You know, I, I think of it as kind of like dating. You know, you're in college or you're single and you're out and you're like, what's the worst they can say? Oh, I'm I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or oh, no, thank you. I'm not interested. It's okay. Your life is not over. Maybe you just, maybe you caught them at a busy time and maybe I was traveling or really sucked into a new job at work or a project, wait a couple months and reach out again. Like, Hey, I've been listening to your stuff. I really want to connect. I mean, you know, some of it is also giving the other person some value. I'll tell you people that are listening. If you just send me a note and that, or anybody like a random note and you just want to like, you want something from them and you're not, you don't even say please or thank you or like you're nice about it, you're probably less apt to get a response. If you Google how to cold email somebody, there's some really great advice and some really great templates out there. There are things you should do and things you shouldn't do. You shouldn't be, don't be used car salesy. Just be you and ask like, I'm a human being and you're a human being. So I wanna get your, I wanna get your input on this. So. SEL, social emotional learning is important. It has always been important. And I feel like SEL is quote unquote more of a thing recently, even like before COVID. And it's great because we're talking about it. And I also, I also think that it's maybe getting a little too complicated in some ways. You know, we have PBIS and we have this and we have that. And then the trainings and then the, this and that, all that stuff. And I have my opinions on it. I mean, we should build relationships with kids and know everybody's name in our building and empower people. And yet, yes, there are some programs that we can bring on board. But what is your, um, what are you doing at your school? And what advice would you give to people when thinking, you know, maybe globally and then micro, micro, macro in your building, school, classroom, student in relation to the social, emotional learning, well-being of students and staff as well, too. I don't think that we talk about the staff social emotional um, enough or as much as we do about the students. Yeah, um, this year in particular, I mean, there's no denying that the social emotional learning piece is a huge component of what our responsibility is. You know, I lead in a three through five building. So we call ourselves the bridge between primary school and middle school. And these are some really important, you know, all the years are important, but these are some really critical formative years of, you know, 
intervention that we can do, support, love, all of the good stuff so that we are sending strong and resilient students over to the middle school. So we actually were approach we when we were approaching the um, one year anniversary of our school closure, we said, you know, how are we going to acknowledge the feelings that we're all going to have when we flip that calendar page to March? And we see that date, March 13th on the calendar. And for everyone, it's going to ignite different feelings. We have children that have experienced loss. We have faculty that have experienced loss. We have faculty and students that have experienced wonderful milestones over the past year, and they don't know how to celebrate that without feeling guilty. We have kids who had big birthdays and lost teeth and had new siblings or moved to a new house. And emotions are non-binary. We don't have to be sad or happy. We have to be able to honor all the feelings. So together with the committee and with the, you know, everybody rolling up their sleeves, we developed a program called Operation RISE. And RISE is an acronym. R stands for resilience. I is for information, S is for support, and E is for empathy. And we did classroom lessons and workshops about resiliency and how we need to honor and celebrate that muscle that we've been working on all year about resiliency and how resilient our kids are and celebrating that. In addition to telling our kids that we will always provide them with information that we hope is accurate and support encouraging our kids to develop their support network, whether it's through friends, whether it's through uh, the faculty and staff that they can identify in the building that they can go to for support. And then of course there's empathy. And although, although we have been all experiencing the same storm, we have been riding in different boats. So being able to acknowledge the fact that your friend or your teacher or your neighbor might be feeling something even though you're not, that was a skill that we really wanted to make sure that we highlighted and the feedback has been wonderful and you know everything that we hope that our kids do is something that we have to experience too as educators and what we have found is that the the program has also helped our staff because we've been examining our own feelings for myself too it was very it was cathartic to actually develop the program and actually look at the word resilience and what that means for us as the teachers and what we've done and looking back and saying wow, look what we've done over this past year through crisis. And it's, it's heavy stuff, it's heavy work. It's a lot of heavy work, but there was something that happened in April and it was kind of like this breath of fresh air and this relief, like, wow, we made it through the one year mark. And now that the vaccines are being rolled out and some of the travel bans have been lifted, there's this, you know, when we turn that calendar to April, we felt like we did justice to the one year mark and we're ready to move forward. Yeah, the kids are important. Oh my gosh, the kids are important, but the adults are too. And if adults aren't happy and healthy and balanced and socially, emotionally <laughs> taken care of, they're not going to be. They're not going to be as good, as productive, as present for for the students. So leaders that are listening, take care of your students one hundred percent, and also take care of staff and I don't say teachers it's the staff it's certificated it's classified it is it is everyone Rachel how do you roll out a new project a new idea or a new curriculum at your school and 
I know this is a this is like a triple barreled question because you have ideas, your staff has ideas, and then your district, your superintendent are like, Rachel, you got to do this at the school. And you're like, when that happens, and some are medium, some are big, some are small, how do you, like, what do you do? Do you just roll it out or do you chew on it? Do you talk to a leadership team? Do you do like a little bit and then kind of sprinkle it out as it goes? And I know it depends on what, what that thing is, but what is your, like, what's, what are your initial steps when, when, when rolling out something new to your staff? Um, that's an excellent question. You know, we're, we're currently looking at some programming for next year and how that's done. And we take our time. And I think time is a gift. If you can have the foresight to consider um, implementation of new programs and rollout in a way that you can have a collaborative process so that by the time you roll it out, it's kind of like old news. That has proven to be the recipe for success for me so that we can be systematic about developing a plan. If we're choosing a product, then we all get our eyes on it together. If we want to try and implement it and do a pilot of whatever we're doing, we can all try it and then come back to the table and discuss what worked and what didn't work. It's never a, we're doing this and implement it tomorrow because I, you know, I, I learned very quickly that that will never work. I'm very, very proud of our current master schedule. We operate a very unique way here. And even though it's elementary school, we're on a nine period day. Um, we did a complete overhaul of the K through five schedule four years ago, and it took an entire year to get the process off the ground. And the reason it took a year is because we had so many revisions and so many edits, and we had a total of 54 focus group meetings with every stakeholder group you could imagine so that they could provide feedback through their lens. And let me tell you, that rollout was probably the smoothest initiative that we've ever done because we did it the right way with the gift of time. Yeah, yeah. Shock and awe does not work. Don't just say, hey, we're gonna do this. And uh, sometimes you need to tell two people and then let those two people tell a couple other people and kind of slow play it out. And uh, yeah, and, and like you said, it comes with experience. It comes with, it comes with experience, but uh, it's always better to slow play things a little bit and then pick up speed rather than go 60 miles an hour right out of the gates and, uh, and make a mistake. So I'm always thinking about next year and what advice would you give to school leaders as they're thinking about next year? What to do, what to keep, what to get rid of, what they need, staff that need to be moved around. What, what are your top things that maybe are in your head right now or that you're kind of always thinking about in terms of next year? My superintendent likes to always say opportunity and crisis. And I think we are in a very unique, very unique spot this year is that we had to rethink everything because of virtual and the closure from dismissal to how we do recess to how lunch takes place. All of that had to be, you know, kind of revamped and reimagined. So I think that this year in particular, we're in a, in that, really unique zone where we can take a look and say, what are we gonna keep? What were we forced to look at and thought that we never even had to look at and we're gonna keep? I'll give you an example. We had to kind of rethink our dismissal procedures and we never thought that they were, they never, we never thought they were problematic before COVID. 
But now that we've redesigned it, we said, how did we even function before? Because the new system we have in place is so smooth and we are definitely keeping it. So, you know, again, opportunity and crisis, take a step back, like you mentioned before on the field, take a look at what you changed and make smart decisions about what you might want to keep. Because I think that there is a handful of items that we are going to keep, and that's going to be a collaborative process. We're going to come together as a faculty and say, okay, what worked? And what changes did we make specifically for this unique school year that we want to hold on to? I think there's a truckload of things that people should get rid of. Years ago, my wife and I, we decided to redo the uh, hardwood floors in our house. And we, we had a 1950 house and uh, we took everything out. When you do the hardwood floors, you need to empty everything out of your house. We went on vacation for two weeks. We had the house painted the first week and the second week we had the, we had the floors redone. And we had been married for, I don't know, five or six years. We had two kids at this point. When we got back from vacation, we had like, you know, new paint, new hardwood floors, but we had to put everything back in. And it was such a good exercise because I'm a minimalist and my wife tends to want to keep everything forever because she may use it 25 years down the road. And we had a conversation about like, what do we really want to bring into our house? Because so many things come into our homes, our schools, our classrooms, but not enough, not enough things leave. And you're not getting rid of things, you're just remaining relevant. And another good activity is turning all the hangers around in your closet once a year. And then after the, that year's gone, if the hanger hasn't been turned around, you haven't used that item, then you, you haven't worn it in a year, it's probably time to move it on. There are things in our closets, in our classrooms and in our lives, in our filing cabinets, in our hard drives, in our Google drives that are just sitting there and they're taking up space. I've always said, your, your brain is a calorie hog. When you're thinking and looking and talking, your brain is using calories, your body's using calories. I'd rather focus on three to five things and do them really, really well with fidelity than focus on 10, 15, or 25 things and do them with mediocrity. So do less with more fidelity. Rachel, part of this podcast is amplifying the voices of my guests. So to close it out, I'm going to pass the microphone over to you. What would you like to say to all the aspiring leaders, assistant principals, and principals that listen to this podcast? I would say, if you're feeling the bug, answer to it, because it's a passion and it's something that is inside of you. And if you feel like you want to step up for that leadership role, I say you need to go after it. And I also want to say that when I first uh, stepped into leadership, a colleague of mine who is um, one of my original mentors said leadership is, you know, it's lonely at the top. So I, I would say, create your support network a strong support network as early as you can, because I think that my success, um, my passion, my ability to lead and be creative every single day is because of the strong network of support that I have. I have somebody to turn to when something goes wrong. I have somebody to turn to when I feel like I need advice. I have somebody to turn to when I just want to vent. And that is the self-care that every leader needs to make sure that they put in place for themselves. Yeah, we didn't even get into mentors and mentorship and self-care. I mean, I'm going to have to have you back on the podcast, Rachel, because there are just so many other things that I want to talk to you about. I'm so happy that you reached out to me. People that are listening, what do you have to lose? Risk versus reward. Nobody's going to call you a bad human being. They're not going to say you're not a good principal, that you're not a good person. All you're doing is 
asking a question and it may open a door and that door may be open just a crack. It may swing open and you roll right through, but you got to ask. So ask, make your own path, open the door. Everybody that's listening. Thank you for listening, Rachel. It's so great chatting with you. And I hope that you have an absolutely amazing day.